a listener note before we begin this week's podcast. As you'll hear from about 36 minutes or so in, we successfully predicted that there would be a statement or statements coming out uh, revealing that certain divisions below the championship in Scotland would be allowed to continue. Hopefully you still think the section is an entertaining listen. Nicola Sturgeon and the SFA both revealed today that Leagues 1, League 2, the Scottish Women's Premier League won the top flight of women's football in the country as well as the Scottish Cup would be allowed to return um, as long as all the teams agreed to weekly testing. League 1, League 2 obviously offered to test a few weeks ago. There's no dates so far. Rod Petrie, the SFA president, has said that the SPFL and Scottish Women's Football will be putting out their revised fixtures as soon as possible, while the Scottish Cup fixture list will also need to be revised and the schedule for those games to be played. It should be said that, as well as the teams in League 1, League 2, Scottish Women's Premier League 1, Highwind League teams will be allowed to test so that they can complete their Scottish Cup ties, although as yet there's no word on whether the Highland League proper will be able to return, whether the Lowland League, whether junior football and anything below that will be able to return in the near future. Um, So with that in mind, here's this week's episode. Cheers. Welcome to Northern Gold, the football podcast from the Evening Express Impression Journal. I'm Ryan Crail, and today I'm joined by Paul Third and Sean Wallace. How are we, people? Okay. Refreshed after my holiday. I'm good, thanks. As as listeners, you you don't know this, but we're now able to see each other. The software we use has been adapted, so it's no longer just audio. There's video as well, so it's uh, quite an interesting thing. We're able to actually have visual cues again something we haven't had since March last year so hopefully <laughs> hopefully that'll make for a, a sort of a more streamlined episode we'll see I think um, no would have had a shave <laughs> at least timed it the the big talking points this week obviously Aberdeen's 1-0 defeat at Celtic Park um, there's also Ross County's 1-0 defeat at St Mirren and Kai Thistle's Friday night draw at home to hearts um, I think first of all we're going to start as we most often do with Aberdeen <laughs> my personal opinion on the loss to Celtic was that it was probably better than the one 10 days ago marginally um, still not picking up any points and at a certain point you need to start turning positive performances into points is that is that your guys take positives to take but yeah they need to start actually getting points on the board and so challenging Hibs for that third spot. Uh, absolutely, that's where they're at. To be fair to them on, on Saturday, I, I had the good fortune of being able to watch it from home and Aberdeen started like a proverbial house on fire as if it was, this is a game that really matters, we need to get going, get going early, put them under pressure and try and get a goal because Celtic's confidence is just as fragile as, as Aberdeen's is really. Um, they were swarming all over him, bending back, piling the pressure on, clipped the corner of the, the post in the bar there and then Scott Bain has a, a great save from, from Ash Taylor, but for being critical, Ash Taylor's got to score. If he puts it either side of the goalkeeper, it's 1-0 to the Dons. And as we know, Celtic go up the park, it's the old who's closing them down. Nobody really. 
and then Edward with the aid of a deflection, which kind of sums up Aberdeen's luck at the at the minute. But it was enough to go past Joe Lewis, and I think that's the only thing Joe Lewis did for the rest of the game. Aberdeen were under a bit of pressure in terms of Celtic having ball possession first half, but second half was very good for Madons, probably the best I've played in quite a few weeks, but it's the old Achilles heel. They can't seem to put that ball in the back of the net. It's definitely been an improvement in terms of performances over the last three games, but performances at this stage of the season aren't enough. You need points. That's for Mars. I mean, Aberdeen's second half were arguably even better than they were the previous trip to, to Parkhead. But yeah, again, it was the same outcome. Zero points. Yeah, I mean, with seven games left in the Premiership, this race for third... The need to start racking up wins. Draws aren't enough. Certainly defeats are damaging. Even away to Celtic, the need to be piling some some form of pressure on Hibs and performances don't do that. I mean, now Aberdeen need, even if they're playing badly, they just need to scrape out wins. I'm going to nail my colours to the mast here. I don't think Aberdeen are going to finish third. Sean, I was reading your stuff this morning. 10 points from 36. They've got to catch a team who could, if they win their game in hand, effectively be seven points ahead of them with seven games to play. If you if you take it for granted that Hibs and Aberdeen will both lose their last games against Celtic and Rangers after the split, um, even if they beat Hibs, you know, you're relying on favourites from other teams post-split or you're relying on St. Johnston, Livy, Ross County to beat Hibs um, before the split. I, I just don't see there being enough of a, a swing. I could be wrong. I don't know what your guys' take is on that. I'm not ready to write them off. I think it's going to be very, very difficult. Oh, here we go. <laughs> One foot in either camp. <laughs> Eternal optimist, Paul. <laughs> you go first, Sean. <laughs> I just think when you look at current form and stats, it needs Aberdeen to go on a concerted run of form with victories and Hibs to basically collapse. And what's coming out of neither camp suggests is going to happen. I mean, Aberdeen, sure, they're playing better, but can you see them like racking up three, four wins on the bounce when they've got to play Celtic and Rangers post-split as well? I mean, there's seven games left in the season, but when you look at it, it's probably only six because one of those games is a trip to Ibrox. I mean, Rangers have only conceded two goals in 15 league games on their own patch and 45 points. I mean, can you see Aberdeen getting even a draw there? I hope they do, but I can't see it. So that's that's effectively a game wiped out. And... there could be no more slip-ups. Aberdeen must start getting wins and they must hope that Hibs have a collapse. And I, I don't think Hibs will have a collapse sufficient enough for Aberdeen to leapfrog him. I hope I'm proved wrong, but I just I agree with Ryan. I just can't see it on the basis of the form of the two teams. I mean, the, the, the defeat of Hibs at the weekend against Motherwell, I mean, that was a shocker because it was all... Hibs had been on a four-game winning streak. That's what you need to be doing at this stage. The defeat to Motherwell apart, Hibs are delivering and Aberdeen aren't. That is the bottom line. I am slightly more glass half full 
uh, eternal optimist. Um, Aberdeen have put themselves in this position. I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. But <laughs> and, and you would want to be Jack Ross out of the two managers right now. But I'm sure Derek McInnes couldn't believe his luck when he heard Hibbs had lost at home to Motherwell on Saturday. He would have taken the gap being the same at full time as it was prior to kickoff. If you'd said to him, look, the end of the day, you're only you're still going to be four points behind Hibbs. He would have gone, okay, that means we've we've won and they've won because that's what he would have thought. He would have expected Hibbs, given the forum that you've talked about, Sean, to beat a, a Motherwell team that's been toiling. But as it now stands, the, the games coming up before the split are crucial for both clubs. If Aberdeen can win both, and Hibs don't win all three of theirs, then a gap. It's it, it's it's there. It's it's really going to be there after the split because Aberdeen know they've got Hibs coming to Petodri and they're looking. And you have to believe if you're in the Aberdeen camp, we're going to beat Hibs. You have to you have to go into that mindset. We're going to beat Hibs, so it's a point, and then it's up to them to be getting results in the other games. What I would also say is what Ab- the advantage Aberdeen have, if I can call it that, is they've been over the course. Year after year, yes, they've come up short the last two by finishing fourth for different reasons. It was to Kilmarnock on goal difference, and then it's because the play, the ball was put away early. They were going away to Motherwell roughly about this time last year in a, in a game I think we all expected them to go and win and go to third that night when when the, the play was stopped. And Hibs' next three games are no gimmies either. What have they got? The League Cup winners, St Johnston at the weekend, and a Ross County team fighting for their lives, who they haven't beaten this season. I think it was nil-nil against the 10 men of County up in Dingwall the first time. And then I think County went and won at Easter Road in their last visit in January. And then they've got Livingston, who turned Hibs over 3-0 at Easter Road on the 2nd of January as well. We're coming to the stage of the season where the finish line is in sight, and that's where the pressure now comes. It's It's easy to be winning games, but now the pressure's coming. And Aberdeen have been over the course, they know what is required, and it's who can handle the heat now as the game start to count down. That's why I'm not ready just to write Aberdeen off just yet, despite their woeful run they've been on. If Aberdeen get to the point where it is a shootout for third spot at Petaudry, then I would fancy Aberdeen to do it, but I just can't see a big enough swing from either, either way for that to happen. And again, as I've said, I hope I'm wrong. The only thing I will say about that, though, is you're talking about being over the course. As a result of being off over the course so many times, there is an expectation for Aberdeen to finish third. It is a bad season if Aberdeen don't finish third. As Willie Miller was seeing this column today, Hibs don't have that expectation. So Hibs are going into this thinking, well, if we finish fourth, it's a good season. If we finish third, it's a bonus. We want it, but it's not the imperative it is for Aberdeen. Is that not... Is that not an advantage? Can you find a Hibs, Hibs fan right now who would accept finishing fourth in the position they're in right now? Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that Hibs have no, are under no pressure. No, but based on based on expectations before the season, I think it's I not about listen, before the season. Aberdeen, Aberdeen fans won't even f- accept finishing. They're third. on the fourth number nine of the season so far. Lots of things have happened. There's lots of factors we can talk about, but to start the season, yes, Aberdeen were favourites. But lots, for lots of reasons, it hasn't materialised and they are now the team with it all to do. Hibs are the favourites now. They've got to live with that pressure. Aberdeen, no one's expecting Aberdeen to finish third. You two sitting right here just now have just said that to me. I think a lot of Aberdeen fans are probably thinking, nah, we've, we've bust our chance here. And, and, and it's weird. 
Aberdeen have got fourth sewn up. Worst case scenario, Aberdeen are finishing fourth. They've got a free hit in seven games. Seven free hits. That's how I see it. Because nobody's expecting them to do anything. I don't, I don't see it as a free hit. It's all about perspective. I think pressure's immense on Aberdeen. Right. <laughs> okay. The Celtic game, though, just, just a couple of points on that. So, the Edward goal, remarkable... Remarkable similarities to the Turnbull goal, although the actual shot itself was deflected this time, it wasn't as good a shot as Turnbull tucked away ten days ago or ten days before this game. Um, still, still uh, a lack of challenge for Celtic, a lack of Don's players getting near Celtic players. What would what, you put that down to? The movement of Celtic players. I think the Christie did like a a good, a really sharp give and go which opened up space, that allowed him a free run. And then I think it was, uh, I think it was Ash Taylor got pulled out of space as well as he went to try and close down Christie and that allowed Eduard the, the space. And I, I watched it a couple of times when I was at the game. I thought, how can you give someone that had scored 20 goals in the season so far and it netted and I think it's nine in the last 12 games how could you give him so much space at the edge of the box I mean he was allowed the time to take a touch and then get a shot off and when you look at the footage there's actually six Aberdeen players in a circle around him but no one is within like five yards to put in a challenge and I think Tommy Hoban I think he's, he's a block for the shot could have been better as well I mean, you can't give players of that quality time to, to ping off a shot. You're going to get punished in the work. I mean, it was it took a deflection, but if you play with fire, you're going to get burnt, and that's exactly what they did by giving him that space at the edge of the box. Deflection or not, he shouldn't have been allowed the time to get it off. I think it's one of those where hearts have ruled heads, and as we said at the beginning, of this recording this week, it was Aberdeen were their, their tails were up. They were thinking, all right, we're we're on top here, and they switch off. They lose their shape completely, and Celtic cut right through them. And suddenly it's oh, we're, we're we're overloaded here. Who's picking up who? Who's going to the ball? And that gives Edward the space. And you can't, as Sean's just said, with the stats he's, of the goals he's got recently, you can't give a guy of that quality that time and space to get a shot away. Are they unlucky? It's a Deflected goal, yes, but Celtic needed one chance to win that game. Aberdeen had three, four, five decent chances and didn't take any of them. That was the difference. It's a man marking as well, is it? Though it's the, the fact that if you're man marking and somebody does something in the middle of the pitch that gets away from his man, yeah. then everyone else is like, "Oh no, what do we do?" Um, Neil McGinn obviously started up top alongside. Um, Florian Camberi, Callum Hendry had scored against Kilmarnock, broke the six-game goal drought um, the weekend previous, but he had to settle for a place on the bench. Did did Neil McGinn up top alongside Camberi work? I noticed that although he was up top, Neil McGinn was the one that was expected, I suppose, to go wide and get the crosses into the box, as opposed to being a, a striker that's you know trying to get into the area and latch on to crosses. I think it worked in terms of Neil McGinn was there clearly to exploit Celtic's vulnerability from uh, dead ball situations and to get try and get the crosses in from wide. And on that on that case he he was a success. I mean he got in, I think it was ten crosses in the box. I mean a lot of them caused problems. 
Ash Taylor could have scored from two of them. I think it was a good one into the, to the feet of yeah, Andy Considine. He just couldn't get the, sh- the shot off. So he was causing havoc in that, that back line. Yeah, quite harsh on Callum Hendry not to retain, well, not to get a start, but it's understandable because Niall McGinn, he's not a wing back. He can't do a shift up and down there for 90 minutes. So he had to be further forward to deliver that balls. So I can understand why Derek McInnes decided to go with Niall McGinn. And it it worked. McGinn did his part of the job. He delivered ammunition, but they just couldn't capitalise on it. I don't think it was a McGinn or Hendry decision for Derek McInnes. I think it would have been Hendry or Conor McLennan. Because that's that's the role that Hendry would have been asked to play had he started on Saturday. I think he would have played wide right in that wing-back role. Listen, we can't have it both ways. There's a section of fans who have been clamouring for Niall McGinn to get more game time for a while. He might be the elder statesman in the team now, but he still has that proven track record. While Hendry is the younger player, yes, he scored his, his first goal for the club last week, but that's that's his pedigree as an Aberdeen player so far. Did he deserve to start? Perhaps, especially with Fraser Hornby being absent. But McGinn's experience in dead ball deliveries were why he got the nod up front instead of, of Henry. For Henry to start, I think he would have played attacking wing back in the McLennan role. What I like to do is um, clamour for somebody to get game and then as soon as they're in the team is clamour for them to be replaced in the team by somebody else. Um, <laughs> obviously, Aberdeen's next two games... The, the last two before the split, Hamilton at home, Dundee United away. Two sides. We've said that we've said that Aberdeen um, need to start picking up wins, but these two sides in particular are two sides that they've kind of struggled against this season. Given given their two sides that aren't exactly setting the heather alight, um, Dundee United no goals against them, I believe. Hamilton yeah, was a goalless draw last time, a one-one draw last time at Hamilton. One-one, I think. Yeah. They beat him 4-2 at Pataudry. They had a like, sensational opening 30 minutes when they went 4-0 up. And it looked like they could have got a lot more and sort of got pegged back a wee bit. So we need to, we need to. that'll be the sign, will it? The barometer getting two results finally against these two these two teams, yeah. Well, they need, they need six points from those two games, definitely. If you can't beat Hamilton at home when you need a win, then you don't deserve to finish third. as a, a bottom line. The team bottom of the league. I mean, Hamilton, I've watched them and I've been a, they're not a bad team. But if you want to finish third, with so much potential at stake for third. I mean, Europa League playoff spot, and then if you get knocked out of that, you drop into the conference. If you want that, you must be defeating Hamilton at home. Otherwise, you don't deserve that third spot. And all the rewards that come with it. Hibs have an extra game. Aberdeen are four points behind, as we know. Aberdeen's aim here is to be no worse off than four points behind going into the last five games. They've just got... I think they have to win their next two. Yes, I know I'm saying all the pressure is probably moving on to Hibs. But yeah, Aberdeen do need to win the next two if they want to pile more of that pressure onto the the favourites now in the race for third. Hibs, they've got to go three away games and do their part as well. But that only matters if Aberdeen are not 
picking up. If Aberdeen are, are getting wind, then Hibs have got to be matching it. Okay. Is it tatties? We'll soon find out. Okay. <laughs> Next up, we'll discuss Ross County's controversial, maybe, 1-0 defeat uh, away at St Mirren. Okay, so well, the first point we're going to raise about this this game, um, among my absolutely shambolic notes where all the scores are wrong and I'm having to remember the scores off the top of my head, but luckily <laughs> I have, um, was the fact that Carl Tremarco was um, was involved in a pretty a pretty meaty challenge early on where he scythed down Connolly out wide, but Paul, before we started this, you suggested that maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. He got a book in, maybe that was enough. Um, in this game, I felt it was pretty, pretty, um, pretty level pegging. A lot of Ross County's games have been that way. Chances for both sides, but you know, County create a lot, but they also give up chances at their end. There was a good save from a free kick from Ross Laidlaw, and um, with the scores at nil nil. But then County could have probably been ahead. Um, I don't know how they didn't end up ahead. Jordan White had a header again, sort of like the Ash Taylor one, where if it goes anywhere else apart from right at Jack Almick. We still, like to be fair, it was still a brilliant save because it was slightly above him and he tips it against the bar and it comes back out. But anywhere else in the goal, that's in. And then with the crossbar still visibly shaking, County sort of recycle the ball. Stephen Kelly gets it, steps past somebody on the edge of the box and rattles it against the crossbar again. At that point, you're thinking, oh dear. County, it's clearly not their day. Clearly someone's against them here. And then it turned out it was the referee. <laughs> well... I'm going to start with poor Carl Tremarco. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, first of all. Uh, I think it was clumsy and mistimed. Uh, if you've watched Carl Tremarco playing over the years for Carly Thistleland, Ross County this season, you know he's a wholehearted and committed player. I mean, I remember him going to make a tackle head first at Petaudry in one game. Um, to use the old adage, he got there as quick as he could. Uh, it's a booking. I don't know if it's a red. I think he's just trying to make sure he goes in and, and gets that ball and puts it out because he's not fancying a, a race down the touchline with a, against a younger opponent. Yeah. As for the game, Ross County had their chances. I don't think they deserved to lose, that's for sure. Um, but what we're seeing is how much this has become a game of fine margins across the whole division, across the whole top two divisions, actually. I mean, I know we'll come on to Cali Thistle in a minute, but there's so little between the teams. This season, it seems to be Rangers apart. I mean, even Hearts are 12 points clear in the championship and they, they don't look convincing. They're struggling to put wins together as well. We're really struggling to predict how this season's going to end up, given how inconsistent so many of the clubs are. I, I agree with Paul there with the, the Tamarco incident. I mean, he, he, run, he runs full pelt to make the challenge. And he's, I think it's his left leg is extended and up, but he's he's not showing his studs. And he actually like turns his foot in to try and get the ball. I think he makes a bit of contact as well. I mean, it was, I mean, he was going in at full speed. I've seen reds given for that, but personally, I think it was a right call, just a yellow, just a full-blooded meaty. <laughs> Leave Carl alone, that's what challenge. we're saying. I've, uh, I've teased it then. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, the winning goal um, St Mirren scored was from the penalty spot. Jamie McGrath tucking away a penalty that was given after Leo Hielda, Ross County's Celtic Loney, collided with Colin Queen. Or, well, I say collided. Um, for me, it's a dive. There's a little bit of contact between their boots, a brushing of the boots as Queen tries to burst into the box. 
with Hjeldas pursuing him. But to me, the way he goes down and the way he's rolling about afterwards is just a just a joke. It's it's so it's obvious simulation to me, made worse by the fact that his manager is Scotland's current most vocal anti diving voice. Um and I, I was disappointed personally with Jim Goodwin, who's previously talked about having had a penalty given against them, it's, I think against Celtic, and previously talked about managers, players and referees having to take responsibility for penalties that are given after dives and naming and shaming players to then come out afterwards and sort of be like, well, there was a bit of contact when, you know, previously he's been like, he's been giving the message that unless you're wiped out, unless it's something that actually makes you physically fall to the ground, it's that sort of contact, then you shouldn't be going down. And then to come out and basically say that the game's gone, it's the, you know, it's the game's fault. It's like everyone has to take responsibility when there's like, you know, there's um, a fox in your own hen house, I suppose. And I think it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it didn't sit well with me. What's your guys take? Do you think it was a dive? Do you think it was a, a clear penalty? Um, I, I actually think it was a penalty. Oh, what? <laughs> I watched it about 10 times. Uh, yeah, and and I was like, I was like mi- minimal contact, but it is contact. It's con. No, no, no. And it, he goes down as a result. Right? Can I interject here? Quinner <laughs> stuck his leg out to the left after he's down to make sure that there's contact with the player. When you watch it back, he puts his leg across into the path of the player. No, I think it's. Nah. I've watched it. I'd be very times. disappointed. It, yeah, it does go across, but I think it's as yeah. he's running. No, I'm not having it. Sean, you're banned for talking about this. Uh, I'd be very disappointed if a compliance officer lets this one go. There you go. I think it's one of those incidents where if we had the dreaded VAR up here, uh, and I'm a critic of it the best of times, but it would have cleared that one up straight away, and it would have been a booking for simulation. It's a shocker. It's a shocker. One of the worst I've seen this season. There you go. How is that for a totally different? point of view from you Sean <laughs> <laughs> that kind of episode today I, uh, I I wrote in my notes <laughs> I wrote in my notes I didn't want to be over dramatic about this because I think you know a season is a long period of time there's a lot of games and but it's a collection of results and the point lost here if we get to the final day of the season and County go down or are in the playoff because because of one point then Colin's got to look at himself hard in the mirror, doesn't he? <laughs> You're right, but listen, football doesn't work that way. You go back to last minute equalisers and winning goals for the opposition, missed penalties, a red card in that game, an offside it wasn't given. It's not one decision that decides a season. It can play a part in a de- uh, season, but not, not Just one. Just because Cole Donaldson's given away 10 penalties this season <laughs> doesn't mean we can't play him. Colin Quinter of St Mirren. <laughs> I'm, I'm very uh, uncomfortable with this whole sort of concept of naming and shaming perceived divers. This is who, who, who decides what's a dive. How do you, how do you then come out and start naming and shaming people? It just seems to be. Uh, I'm not going to go so far as saying like a, like a, a bullying culture with it, but I mean p- players will get <clears throat> a, a reputation which they perhaps don't deserve. And that could, in the future, cloud referees' decisions and like close judgments. I'm just very uncomfortable with this whole double name and shame divers. But if you've taken a dive, 
You've to earned fair, that I reputation. Think anyway, if you do dive, this not not just this specific incident. It's it's obvious. So sport sports scene and stuff like it's all like everyone knows if it's hard, if it happens, everyone knows. Do we remember? Done, you know. Oh, sorry. Really, there's no there's no real need for not remember Peter Pollock. This guy's a diver. Do we not remember Peter Pollock taking pelters at Dens Park? For a dive that, yep. and, I mean, I think was, was it John Brown was saying he's gonna, we're gonna get relegated because of him and all this. Nobody forgets it. That's a tag. That's a tag you're giving. Yep. Don't do it, and you, if you don't want the rep, don't do it. Yeah, it was just the way Peter, the way Peter Paul, his momentum, the way he he goes down to try and sort of protect himself. Agreed. But and you're right. After that, slaughtered. Yeah. Which I thought at the time was a shocking thing. And Dundee fans to, to this say. day still despise him because of it. That's what that's what naming and shaming does. But yeah, but it's, an, it's a get out. It's an easy get out of jail card, is it? Your, your team's are way to go down, so just blame a, an, an opponent, an opposition but, player. Don't do any of the flack for yourself as a manager. But coming back to Craner, it was a dive. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> County's game this weekend. I don't think we can we can overstate how big a game it is. Killy are the team between County and Bottom Place Hamilton, but Killy have played, I think, 31 games to County's 30. Hamilton have got only played 29, so Hamilton, with their games in hand, if they win them, can come back into things, but if Killy lose to Ross County, it's it's not over, but it puts it puts Killy very much in County's rearview mirror, correct? I think so. I mean, this, this is... Eerily similar to the the Aberdeen situation at the other end of the table for me. Thanks to Motherwell's win at Easter Road, there's now daylight between the three clubs at the bottom of the table and the three above them. And if you're in the three above, you're fancying your chances. The three the three below now are looking like they're fighting it out for that bottom two spots, automatic relegation and a playoff. But much like Aberdeen under pursuit of Hibs, it's vital now for County to stay in touch and try to close that gap before the head-to-head games that are really going to matter post-split and that makes Saturday's game against Kilmarnock a vital one we can call it a must-win but I think at this stage of the season given where they're at every game for Ross County is a must-win just as it is for Aberdeen um, Kilmarnock picked up the first point under Tommy Wright at the weekend and if we know one thing from a Tommy Wright team from his time at St Johnston is that he gets the most the absolute most out of his players Kelly will see Saturday as every bit as vital to their cause as County do but how it's going to go who knows but I know it's going to be tense and it's going to be competitive and I wouldn't be surprised if we don't have a winner because it is so tight and cagey down there That's why I love the the top six, bottom six splits so much. It's like an absolutely wonderful innovation. It's just totally, it, it turns the top top six and the bottom six into, was it a legal rumble? <laughs> Where you just get guys in there and just get them to fight it out until there's like, <laughs> there's left standing. There's not, it, like every game has something on it. And, which is, which is why I enjoy it so much. And, if Ross County can beat Kilmarnock, then of the teams in that relegation fight, Kilmarnock, to me, are the one that I think will go down. Really? But now you've got the extra Tommy Wright factor, which could, yeah, I, I, I think Hamilton have got something about them. Hamilton have been over the course so often that always seem to pull something out. And I, th- I actually think they're a decent side. This is interesting. 
Ross County as well, I think they'll be able to haul themselves out of it. But what if Kilmarnock taking in points? Is it not like it must be now something like one point from like I don't know, like twenty twenty four or something? Something like some not trending particularly well, I wouldn't suggest. But it's fascinating. Here we are, we're talking Sean's saying Aki's have been over the course here. I fancy them to get out of this. And yet twenty minutes ago we're going Aberdeen have been over the course, but <laughs> they don't look I don't think they can do it. It's funny how you how we can all sit and, and look about things and talk about it. <laughs> um Aki's I suppose the other way here's me flipping everything I've just said earlier yeah, about yeah. the Dons. Aki's you has been the great escape artist season after season. You keep thinking, well, their luck will run out eventually. But I don't know. I don't know. Aki's always seem to get that big result when they need it. They seem to thrive post split as well, especially. They're they're not the team I'd want to be going head to head with. If it's if it's between us or them to to stay up, that's for sure. You're, you're probably right, Kelly. Kelly's the team I'd fancy my chances against. I've been watching Aki's games just recently, just because of the Bruce Anderson factor, just to see how he's performing. And I mean, I've I've been impressed with them. They're they're no pushover, and they play decent football. Ross County as well. I think they've got enough to stay up and. I mean, I watched Kilmarnock against Aberdeen and I just thought this looks like a team doomed. I just thought Kilmarnock would quite a team on the way down into the lower division. Tommy Wright might do something to rectify that and save it, but he's got very limited time and he can only work with the players that he's inherited. And it might be a rebuilding job for him next season. They're essentially a championship team that Aberdeen thumped 1-0. Yeah. Next up... Via uh, a dead ball. <laughs> yeah. Next up, we'll uh, discuss final game um, of the weekend, although it was technically last week, depending on when you think the weekend starts. Cali Thistle 1, Hearts 1. Okay, so the Friday night came in the championship. Um, Neil McCann, interim boss at Cali Thistle, his first game in charge. He stuck to his promise not to change too much, would you agree? And it was a pretty um, pretty good performance for Cali Thistle. They would have wanted to win, but I think on the balance of play towards the end of the game, when it was 1-1, they were they were very much up against it. So I think they'd be reasonably happy with that point. I think so. I think so. And Neil McCann had only had the players for a few training sessions. I think he'd come in and it was the Alloa. He was sitting watching the Alloa game, wasn't he? And then met the players the following day. So it would have been madness to rip up the playbook. I think a Cali Thistle, and I picture a team that's hard to beat. That's borne out by the fact they've had, what, seven draws in their 15 games so far. What Neil McCann's coming in to do at this stage with John Robertson taking a step back is see if he can take some of those games that have ended in a draw, those performances, and, and eke out that winner. Because if they can get three instead of one at this stage, it's really going to change, in effect, what they have, what's possible for them at the end of the season. I mean, Carla Thistle went 1-0 up on Friday. Could have been further ahead, probably should have been. But a point was a, was a fair reflection on how the game went in the end. It was pretty tough going for them late on. Uh, but we're play, they're playing against the league leaders with a budget which blows them and every other team in the division out of the water. If, I, if I'm looking at Hearts, for example, they should be cantering to this title with the resources and the size of squad they've got. And it's funny that, that like I said earlier, they're, they're 12 points clear, but I can't sit just now with a degree of certainty and say, 
Hearts are champions-elect. I don't get that impression from Hearts. They keep slipping up. Wraith win their two games in hand. That's down to six points. Carly Thistle and Dundee have got games in hand. They're going to be pushing up there as well. It's Hearts have still got work to do eh, to tie this up. And eh, if, if you're Inverness or Dundee for that matter, I know they're playing each other tonight, you're not, you're not writing it off just yet. Yeah, I think Paul's right. I mean, there's still so much for Inverness to play for us or this season. And Neil McCann, I mean, there was so little time for him to come in. And so he was he was spot on. Not to change much. He'll be using the next few days to assess his team. So I imagine there might be a couple of changes potentially. Do you know, it's one of those situations with Calcutta, isn't it? Where they've got so many games. They've obviously had two games last week. They've got four games in the next couple of weeks starting tonight. It's... <laughs> It just feels to me like if they go and rattle them all off and win them, they've or they you know they draw a couple, win a couple, then they've they've turned their season around. You know they're in the, they'll be in the playoff spots. They'll be you know very much looking upwards. But what I'm struck by is they really can't afford to like get four draws or lose a couple, draw a couple of these next four games because that's their that's their insurance policy. That's their game in hand. Their games in hand. So it would be. It would be disaster, wouldn't it, if that was to happen, not to be negative? Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, you have to win those games in hand, Ryan. There's there's no doubt about it. Dundee on the same boat. They've both played 15 games. They're going head-to-head tonight. Whoever loses that one, the pressure's starting to build and you're, you're nervously looking over your shoulder, I think, because you're closer to the bottom than you are at the top, as it stands, if you're those two clubs. And I know it's really tight in the middle of the park and there's the middle of the table, sorry, and there's, there's so many teams conceivably can be in these playoff spots. But I, I don't know. I, I just think March is going to be pivotal for Cali Thistle. I think they've got six games starting tonight and they're really looking at 15 out of 18 minimum. It's what they, they need to be taking. Five out of six wins. Here you go. If, you, if you're not doing that, then you're up against it if you're hoping to make a playoffs. That could, of course, I think, leave them even in second place, potentially, depending how other results go. Just um, just finally, we don't want to labour and Cali Thistle too long because, obviously, playing Dundee tonight, that, if that goes the other way, then we look maybe slightly <laughs> foolish. Um, the lower league restart, where if, if that's uh, Cali Thistle or Dundee Cali Thistle could be out of date quickly, um, the lower league restart chat that we're about to have could be even more out of date because <laughs> I think um I think we're all expecting potentially today, aren't we, that we'll finally get word having been expected since about Friday that at least League One and League Two will probably there'll be a clear pathway to restart if not for the Highland League, Lowland League, all the junior divisions, women's football. Are we are we Feeling positive, it's, it's it's looking good to me. Why would you extend the loan window, for example, if you weren't planning on letting part-time football return? Who knows? Has anyone got one of those magic eight-ball things we can give a shake? I can't <laughs> fathom with the even SFA now use. why we've stopped some <laughs> leagues. Oh, here we go. What we've why have we stopped some leagues and continued playing in two others? I don't understand it. Right? I also don't understand how this situation has been allowed to continue for months when you've got two part-time teams in the championship who can train and you've got full-time teams in League One who are not allowed to train together. It's just a farce. We're at the point now 
it would be a now or never. There's got to be a statement this week. I, I, I won't go so as far as far to say today, but it's got to be this week. Uh, I agree with Paul. As, as Elvis said, it's now or never because, I mean, some of these teams, they've still got 19 fixtures left in a 27-game league. If, yeah. if there's no plan for them to come back this week, then when is there going to be a plan? I mean, the games are supposed to be finished by May the 1st for the playoffs. So it's going to, they're going to play every single like second day. It's, it's like Paul says, it's a farce. There needs to be some form of the term or like pass to the term. If not, then just call it. If you're not, if there's no plan for it to come back, just, I mean, because you're not going to get the games finished in time unless you, you cut down the amount of fixtures. And that's going to take eight of the eight teams in each league to vote it through, which just adds more drama and drags it out even longer. But that's a joke scenario as well. Sorry, we can't reduce the season after it started. I mean, we, we stopped a season last year yeah. and crowned champions, but ripped up the playoffs. Now we're going to say, oh, we know you've started, we know you've played 10 games, whatever it is, but here you go, guys. You've only got eight to go. You better hurry up if you want to make those, those playoffs. Let's say the Scottish government gives the green light for them to come back, right? Let's say it comes today. So realistically, when are we looking at teams being able to play again? Because they've got to do some sort of quick mini pre-season to get up and running. We've got an international break coming in the three weeks' time. Are we then saying, right, you come back after the international break? So the start of the Easter holidays in April. Guys, so they've got a month. If the go-ahead happens today, they've got a month to get themselves up to speed. I don't know if there's an appetite to finish the season among the clubs after all of this time. And if I'm a if I'm a part time player, I'm looking going, I've had three months off, can I really be bothered? Knocking my pan in for another two months to have a break and then have to do pre season for a third time in a year. Nah, nah. I think I'll just leave it. And then that puts it back to the SFA and the SPFL yeah. going, What we're gonna do with the playoffs? What we're gonna do just that? with with everything else? We're just we're heading for another iceberg. You've got to take in the, the human factor as well. I mean, a, a lot of these lower league players, <clears throat> they've got full-time jobs. Do you could, do they really want to be playing like three times a week? Potentially, I mean, going away, away from their families, having to take time off their work as well. Especially when, I mean, positions that employers are so precarious in many professions anyway during due to COVID, you don't want to be going to them saying, oh, can I get like two, three days off each week to travel to an away game? Or, I just, it's just a, a big ask for, for these players. We all knew this scenario was possible when the season started. I am. Um, I'm, I'm of the opinion that... What we all know is that there was no plan mm-hmm. of how to deal with it. Regardless of players across the... The divisions in question, the divisions below the championship, want to play. The thing that interests me, the per- permission-wise, is League One and League Two have obviously offered to essentially go above and beyond the conditions that have allowed the championship to continue in terms of testing, in terms of no directors at games, bus travel basically being limited where possible. Um, what if that is then allowed to continue? League One, and League Two are allowed to continue on that basis. That then leaves this question mark over the women's game, over Highland League football, Lone League football, the juniors, because are they going to be 
expected to continue on that basis, which they're not going to be able to afford to do. They've already said at Highland League level that they, they don't want to do testing. Or are they going to be allowed to continue without doing that? Because in, in that case, that's another absolute farce because then League on League 2 are being told you have to jump through all these hoops to come back. But this football lower down the pyramid will just let come back with, you know, temperature testing, things like that. It just, to me, the the inconsistency that has been there all through the pandemic and every facet of life in terms of what you can do and what you can't do just is, you know, there's a little microcosm of it here that why why have League One and League Two, if they've offered to do what the championship is doing or better, why have they not been allowed to come back already? And if they do let them back, then to me it's unfair to then let the Highland League and Lowland League and all that come back without adopting the same measures if League One and League Two are expected to adopt those measures. That is, of course, let's not stay on this point too long because when the statement comes out today at four o'clock and the podcast is not yet released, it will, of course, all be out of date and just be wild conspiracy theory and speculation. But it'll Most still have been a farce. Wild <laughs> conspiracy yeah. speculation. So, in, to... <laughs> to sum up then yeah. we don't know what's going on with the lower leagues and if you want to find out what's going to happen with the championship top half um, relegation and the third place fight in the premiership wait until all the games have been played and then you'll know that concludes this week's episode of Northern Goal thank you Paul and Sean for joining me today cheers guys well wait to check my blood pressure thank thanks Ryan <laughs> Be off a scale. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can like and subscribe in your favourite podcast app. You can email us at northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. And finally, enjoy whichever football games you're going to be watching this week. And well, congratulations if you're a fan of a League One, League Two, Highland League, Bowling League women's football team that have been allowed to return, or commiserations if they have not been allowed to return based on what happens. Thank you. Hope you loved the episode, and if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.